Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livigno to Levy. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello folks, once again it's the time of the week when we have another exciting and thrilling episode of Livigno to Levy. And today we are talking about Reisteloipe, probably one of the toughest or maybe the toughest race in the Pro Tour. And I have the deputy event, uh, Fred Arne Jakobsen on the, on the line. So Fred, how's life in Norway? You got, you have any snow up there right now? Well, actually, we've had some snow uh, the last uh, the last weeks. Uh, today it's uh, kind of warm again, but uh, no worries. <laughs> Winter is coming to northern Norway, so I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't have any worries about that. But we're doing we're doing well. Yep. So, uh, Fred Arne, you mentioned that you had a little bit of snow over there, but how does it look right right now? The winter's coming. Winter is coming. Uh, the mountains has been white for for some time. We had some some uh, snow on the ground. Uh, those most eager skiers has been out there. Uh, we have some artificial snow at uh, at Bordefoss where we we have the finish of the race to Lope. So this weekend we had uh, quite a few of the the elite skiers in the region uh, up there and, uh, and a lot of kids. Uh, but it's a, it's a normal uh, it's a normal uh, autumn. Um, we're, rec- we're getting there. The, the ground is frozen. Uh, preparations for the race is well underway, and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to seeing the elite coming over sometime in April. So when you say that uh, the preparations are well underway, what have you done over the summer uh, and uh, this fall? Have you changed, done anything to the course, or just a kind of the business as usual uh, the course is uh, is the same yeah but we have uh, you know we, we work on uh, we have a lot of small small rivers and creeks through the through the course uh, we we are clearing uh, clearing the course from uh, you know it's always growing and and stuff uh, trying to trying to really to just to improve uh, otherwise we have uh, the 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 LOC we have had a couple of meetings so far. Uh, we had we did a, a good evaluation even last year, even though we, we didn't have the race. But we had done all the preparations, and we unfortunately we had to call it off uh, in the last week because of the COVID. But uh, uh, yeah, the LOC is eager. Uh, people are eager, uh, and uh, we are ready to to perform. So, what kind of things do you guys talk about at, the, at those meetings? No, we are very much into into the details. You know, we we built our own uh, event book uh, with with the taskers of all uh, of all the uh, responsible persons, and I think we we are pretty pretty well organized. But one of the main things we're working on now is to uh, to get into the to the green. You know, everything in everything these days is is supposed to be very environmental, and you have to to be able to to reach criteria. So. Uh, Maybe it's it's not correct to say green winter, but we want to be one of the one of the events that are able to to meet the standards from environment from the environmental side. What does that mean in your case? I mean, of course, you have the nature, beautiful nature around. Everyone would probably assume that you are very environmental friendly. Yes, uh, you could say so. And and we um, when we dived into it, you know, it 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 could seem overwhelming but uh, actually we had almost 80 percent in place but it, it's much about who do you cooperate with are you able to do to to handle public transportation uh, the stuff that you're buying uh, for instance uh, when you have f- f- feeding stations you shouldn't use plastics you should uh, re- recyclable uh, stuff and all that uh, and there are criterias for for uh, for uh, when when the, the race is over. You should do your evaluations and you should do reporting and stuff. But I think we're we're well underway. And uh, you know the the development 
goes the way that uh, partners and sponsors are also occupied with this. So uh, eventually you should end up with partners and sponsors that are also kind of have the green certificates and are able to to perform in accordance with long-term perspectives of an environmental, environmental side. I think this is kind of a good segue for us to uh, to move on to talk about the region. You mentioned environment and your play. I mean, your places or your course. I mean, the whole area, whole region is very beautiful. Uh, but just now, you have a chance to kind of pitch it a little bit to those people that haven't been there. You know, the Badufos, Setemu, and really small places, but they're very idyllic. Yeah, we are. Uh, as you say, it, it, it's small. It's small. It's that's actually two small villages. You know, uh, three, four thousand in each place, uh, and we are situated high, high north. And as you know, we are we are now entering the the, the dark season, meaning that uh, in, uh, in in a few weeks you won't see the sun for another two months. So, uh, and that's very different from. When we have the race up in the tenth of April, where we will have sun for for most of the twenty four hours, so it's it's a different season we're entering into. But uh, we are also situated what we call the inland, but we are very close to the sea. So you know we have uh, it's it's a mountainous area, uh, and among them, uh, especially uh, randonnée skiing is big these days. You know Lingen Alps, the Senja Island. You have uh, you have a very unique uh, uh, downhill facilities in Norvik, uh, where you almost it's kind of unique unique because when you do downhill skiing, it's almost like you you you're skiing into the ocean because you kind of come or come over these these hills and you just see blue, but you you will hopefully realize that you're not ending up in the sea though. But it's uh, it's a bit different, and then you have kind of the inlands with with large lakes and stuff, so. It's a place for people who want to see see nature. If you like nature, it's good. But you also have those those uh, small cities like Tromsø, which is kind of the, the the major city in in northern Norway. You have Harstad, which is also close by. Uh, if you want to kind of explore uh, that side of life, you can also go there. But you know, it's a it's a good place to be, especially in these times. We we mentioned COVID earlier on. You know, this is a place where you don't have a lot of crowds, and it's kind of a long space between people. So, <laughs> all in all, it's it's good for the time being. Yes. So you mentioned the uh, kind of the twilight time, the dark time. So what do people do uh, when it gets so dark and you don't see the sun? Well, you put a headlamp on your head and you go out there. So uh, when we've done this uh, this uh, podcast, I'll uh, join my wife for a run with a with a headlamp. We're going up to some uh, some major uh, river falls and and uh, probably had northern lights tonight. Uh, it's been, it would be a, be a great experience. Uh, but you know, when you when you live up here, there are no limitations. You know, you just you just adapt. So. Whether it's the dark season or the or the or the, the light season, you know, but 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 the difference is, as, as you say, the living. When when the sun comes back in the summer, you know there is no you don't need a you don't need a clock anymore. You know, people can you can go to your neighbors at uh, twelve o'clock around midnight and say hello. Do you have some coffee? And they say yes, of course, come in. And you sit there for an hour or two, and then you go home. So. <laughs> It's different, but uh, at the dark season, well, people tend to be more inside, but uh, still the outdoor life is there. So, uh, and for for skiing, we have light tracks all over the place. You know, that's that's the normal standards. If you have if you have uh, cross country courses, you have you have a light track as well. So, for instance, here at Setemoen, we have 15 clicks of light tracks, and at Bordefoss, you have uh, the same. Uh, so that's uh, you. You adapt to to uh, to the dark season and also the the light season. Yeah, and it's also an area where a lot of good skiers come from. You know, the northern uh, Norway, even our skiers. Yes, we uh, we have, and uh, on the last race to loop in twenty nineteen, we had one of one of the the, the, the runners up, uh, Eric Wallness, that uh, made the third place at, at the race. But he is one of the was a World Cup sprint uh, specialists, and uh, we also have Anna Svensson, which which did well as well. Uh, even though the long distance skiers beat her, uh, 
on that race. But uh, yeah, we have we have a good history for for good skiers in in northern Norway, uh, both on the national team and we know we have what we call the team northern Norway, which is kind of the the runners up for the national team. Uh, so we frequently produce uh, kind of national, international level level skiers. So speaking of history, since you mentioned that, let's talk about the history of your race and go all the way back to the, the beginning. Even the name uh, <laughs> is interesting, the story behind the name, because it, it bears, it carries a, a name of a famous person, you know, Colonel, correct? Colonel Ole Reistar, yeah. Ole Reistar, he, uh, he was a military officer, full colonel. Um, and he was, he was really a kind of a sports person. He... Um, he, already in 1920, he was in the Summer Olympics in, in modern pentathlon, uh, which is a very odd variation between you know skating, shooting, it's swimming, it's uh, it's uh, what do you call it, fencing? Is that the correct word? Uh, yes, fencing mm -hmm. uh, and running. Um, and then he also in the 1928 Winter Olympics they had this uh, this competition on on on, uh, on uh, ski patrols. So uh, he, is, he was kind of famous for that. But uh, after the war, he came back to this area and he engaged a lot in the, in young, in the young people in the area. Uh, very creative with, with their, uh, with their uh, spare time, sports, all kinds of sports he was engaged. And uh, Kampenhütta, which is one of the main, let's say, facilities along our course, is one of his memories. So... Uh, He's been kind of the uh, the uh, inspiration behind the race that started in 1958. Um, we still have uh, his family members. Uh, we consult them whenever we do something with the race. Uh, we have them up here uh, every year, and then kind of uh, acknowledge uh, their uh, their history and all the race's history. Uh, and he also got uh, in Norway. The greatest honor for an athlete is to have what we call Egebergs Arispris. That's kind of the, the kind of the the, the highest uh, uh, honor you can have as as an athlete. But then you are kind of a kind of a complete athlete, and you have put a lot in yourself, and you also have had great results. So since 1958, we uh, we have had the race, uh, one of the oldest popular races in Norway, and we. Uh, we really like to get into to the Wisma Ski Classic series of uh, the long distance World Cup. Uh, we think that was uh, that was a good challenge for us as well. But uh, we also see it as an acknowledgement of, uh, of all the good work. Uh, you know, we have about three hundred volunteers. That's that's uh, that's the core, and uh, for all those people who do all this work every year, it's kind of a it's a certificate for the quality being part of this uh, long distance cup. So we, uh, but we try to, uh, we try to develop and uh, over the last years, I think we have uh, reached kind of a new standard that we would like to, to continue to, to develop. Yeah. I actually remember when you guys were pitching or, or promoting your event uh, to Visma Ski Classics uh, before you joined. And of course, your race is very different from any other race because of the course. And we'll talk about that a little bit later later on. But it really has a long history, as you said, 58. Uh, it's been around and even the distances were a little bit different before you guys uh, joined uh, Visma Ski Classics. Yeah, as you say, we, we are a popular race. And that's, you know, it, this is really the the race to go to for people in this neighborhood, you know, coming from Tromsø, Harstad, around this region. Uh, and we, it used to be, um, it actually, bef before Wisma Ski Classics, in the in the early days, we started at, at uh, the same place at, as, as we do these days. Uh, but before Wisma Ski Classics, we had gone back to the main uh, cross-country ski stadium in, in Settemoen. But we, when we got into the, into the Long Distance Cup, we, we chose to go back to the, to the, to the route, so to speak, and, and started on uh, what we call Atleriesletta, uh, close to the, to the military garrison. Uh, and then it used to be a 34K uh, uh, race. Uh, but the Wismashi Classics uh, wanted to have uh, a bit more distance. So the first year, we actually were up into 56 clicks. Uh, we have we added on some some hills and stuff. 
I don't know if uh, if it was uh, Eston Peterson's comment on uh, on Instagram where he said, "Is it normal to to stay 25 minutes in zone five on my polar watch?" But anyhow, uh, the distance was uh, was uh, shortened a bit, so you're around 50 these days. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Since we have been talking about Visma Ski Classics, I think it's a good time to listen to uh, David Nielsen, the CEO of Visma Ski Classics, and find out what he thinks about the race and some of his memories. Um, race Dalopet is uh, something different. It's, uh, of course, the X factor is the Orta climb which is insane in terms of it just becomes steeper and steeper and going up that one it's not over because you have to go down and then you have another one which is not as bad maybe but quite similar uphill so the experience you get after that and then cruising down to the finish and in Bardefoss it's a it's a fantastic race being you know north of the arctic circle close to Tromsø, Lyngen Alps and, and Lofoten it's uh, it's an amazing place to to go cross country skiing, and I think the first year we came there, I remember there was it was a long time since I saw so much snow. I think we had three meters of snow or something. It was just snowing day and night the last days before the race. I mean, remember there was this old telephone boat which was covered with snow. I mean, it's probably two and a half, three meters. So it can be severe weather up there. But I remember that uh, one of one of my memories from the from the race itself, of course, is um, the battle between Masako Ishida and Justina Kowalczyk a couple of years ago, where they were going going cat and mouse, one first, and then the other one was first, and uh, in the end, Masako stepped in and won the race. That was fantastic to have a Japanese victory north of the Arctic Circle, and also the last editions when we were there, and I was two seasons ago, when Petter Liasen decided to go without kickbacks and was actually part of the leading group that was um, shouldn't be possible so uh, there's always every year great things to see in this race it's a they call it a pure arctic madness and i think a device couldn't be more right so fred arne the course of course it is probably the toughest or maybe the toughest course uh, in the pro tour and that's something that all the skiers all the athletes always talk about talk about but let's go through the course a little bit because there's still a lot of people who haven't done the race only probably seen it on tv uh, still wondering how tough could it really be um yeah it is tough it's tough when you when you really push it but uh, remember it's it's about you know 800 900 um very 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 popular skiers that do the race there's families and stuff so it's doable for everyone but you know as they say in in, in bicycling you know when the when the hills comes it, it never gets easier it's only gets harder so uh as you as you push but uh yeah it's it starts uh i'd say it starts pretty pretty nice uh, it's it's a flat uh the first five it has some small some small hills uh, and, and then you enter into the first sprint at, at Stolemura. Uh, obviously meaning that for, for the pro athletes, uh, it's high speed, the first five uh, case to, to get into a good position there. Then you have uh, two or three clicks with, uh, with still uh, the flats, and then you hit the first real climb up to Orta. Uh, the Orta climb is uh, around 400 height meters, I think, uh, approximately five kilometers from, from the bottom and up, and fairly steep, continuous uh, continuous climbing. Uh, we've had some discussions over the year, as you know, our mayor, Thorolf uh, Heimdall, he's, 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 he's kind of the king of Restolup. He's been winning it uh, a number of times, uh, and he argues that uh, we could have a, a not so steep climb because diagonal would favorize uh, those double polling skiers. However, my, over, after two years, my theory is that because of the steep hills, that really exhausts the double polar. So they never haven't so far been able to, let's say, pick up uh, those who have been doing uh, kickbacks, uh, Orta. Uh, because after Orta, you have uh, you have some uh, first five k's. It's it's an easy downhill. 
really smooth. If you have uh, if you have a good speed on your skis, you should actually pick up uh, skiers with kickbacks, but they haven't done it. Then you have some small some small climbs. You enter Kampenhütte at 21, and you still fall down for another five clicks. And then you have the second, uh, the second climb up to uh, to Holwood Hill. Uh, it's approximately four kilometers. Not so steep as Urta Hill, but still, uh, I'd say exhausting if you're doing double polling. And even when I'm doing diagonal, I have to work with myself up there. And then you enter into the to the plateau again, uh, and there are some ups and downs for the next. Uh, 10, uh, 10 to 12 kilometers. Uh, and then you have a fairly easy last uh, five to six kilometers to back to, to Bordefoss. Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, some of the hills are really steep. So they're herringboning. They're even that steep. Uh, but And it favors a, a classical or diagonal strider as this course of yours. But do you think that there will be a time that a double polar will win the race? Well, I have this bet with David Nilsson, and, and so far I, it's three to zero to me because I said kickbox every year. But since I've I've been into Restolup uh, organizing it since uh, 2000, <laughs> I know that if you have if you have special conditions, you know, if it's uh, if it's a lot, if it's, it's if the difference between the low uh, the low altitude and the high altitude is uh, is uh, huge with rega- regards to the snow condition. You would most likely be you most likely favorable double polling uh, because we have had years when where you have, you have to use uh, a very uh, very soft uh, kickbox and then when you come up to Urta especially you have kind of a dry fresh snow and you get that icing. Uh, I would presume that if you if you have those conditions. Uh, you could uh, you could benefit uh, double polling. However, these days you have very very uh, good uh, do- diagonal skis that you don't need to wax. You could use that, those advanced skin skis and all that stuff. So uh, the only thing I know is that every team has to do their calculations, and every time I think it's only one five seven who is the only team has never used kickbacks. All of the rest have kind of split into two. They either have one or two doing one of the the versions. So uh, it's kind of hard to say. But uh, if you have the right conditions, you could win double polling. But most of the time, you will win with diagonal. Peter Eliasen got pretty close in 2019 when he was fifth, uh, and he was in that breakaway group, and he was the only one double polling. Uh, and then there was a Mikael Gunnulfsson one That's that year, but of course, of course, those guys uh, had kickwacks. And I'm convinced that he, if he had had kickwacks, he would have won. That could be true. <laughs> <laughs> and he actually did. He did Nudenjerslopet before that. He was a little bit tired as well yeah. when he did it. So he was really, really close there. But, uh, but good. What else would you like to say about your race or the area for those people that are listening to this and, and thinking about coming over? I mean, it is, it is way up north. So, of course, uh, you, you need to convince them. You need to sell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, besides uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a rough course, it's, it's also a kind of a special course because you, you really got up, get, get up to the mountains. You could, you could call it a, a mountain race, actually, because this is, you know, this is really, really the mountains, and you—it's—it's a—it's a really great scenery. Obviously, coming from myself, uh, that's why I live here because I like the scenery. But I haven't—I haven't met anyone who, who didn't, uh, who didn't enjoy the race. And and we've seen on the stats, uh, the the statistics over the last years that, that we have the, the largest increase of of skiers are from abroad, and also the southern parts of Norway. And I think it's the word of mouth that kind of spread around that this is uh, this is kind of this is kind of different. But but obviously, people traveling from from a distance coming up here uh, to do a ski race. And I know for myself, I don't go to I don't go to Marchalonga to do one race and go back on the same day. You know, you you stay in. And I think there are there are multiple options to to either just stay in the course. Uh, as I said, go to go to Tromsø, uh, 
go to to Norvik. Uh, you can uh, you can meddle into uh, to randonneur skiing. You could do dog sledging, uh, or you could just uh, just enjoy uh, a quiet some quiet days in uh, in, in the high north. Uh, uh, you know. It's easy to come here, you know. It's uh, it's one and a half hour from Oslo in uh, in an airplane, and you land almost by by the finish line. Uh, we also have uh, had two other airports at uh, Harstad Evenes, which is uh, an hour and a half from here, uh, and you have Tromsø as well, two hours from here. So uh, you could uh, could easily build kind of a three four days of uh, of event for yourself and and your friends when you when you come up here. Um, and we we do cooperate uh, a little bit with uh, Midnight Sun Marathon, which uh, is, is, has their their base in Tromsø, who, who has a lot of experience. Uh, they have more than twenty years of their kind of international marathon uh, midsummer, and they see that people that come up uh, traditionally stay for four days, and they try to to build a package around. So we have put some emphasis to together with the the. Uh, some of the uh, the providers of uh, tourist experiences uh, in the neighborhood now to to come up with uh, with packages or help people to to build some uh, some recreational stuff around the race uh, so if somebody anybody need, would need some some help with that even even the pro teams you know they have a week before they go to to Lavinio uh, not sorry not Lavinio but to, to Levy uh, you know, we will guarantee that they have excellent training conditions for the week if they want to stay more some more days here, and we can help them with other uh, other uh, experiences and uh, adventures. So, uh, actually, no limits. You can do, you know, there can be the the fishing in the sea, or you can do ice fishing in the mountains, or yeah, what have you. It's actually good that you pointed that out. That uh, Ules Levi is only a week after you guys, and the drive isn't really that that long it's only about five hours or so i've done it myself many times so your race is a good place as you said good place to, to stick around enjoy the the region uh, do a lot of skiing and then go down to to levy and have like two countries uh, uh on one trip yeah and that's uh you know uh i have a lot of friends who's, who's doing that in the in the alps you know with uh you know tobla cortina and and much longer used to be in that context so you had like nine days and you did one race and you spent the week between and then you went to the other race and i think that's a that's a good option when you come up here to see race Talup and levy as kind of a package and then you kind of just build around that and uh, that would give you some some a good week plus in in the high north experiencing something different Indeed, but now let's listen to uh, some of our pro team athletes. Some some of the athletes have done really well uh, in your race, and find out what they think about Reisteleipä. Hi, this is uh, Anders Åkland, Team Ragde. Reisteleipä is for me um, a really special race. It's uh, in the end of the season, totally different course from all other long distance races because it's uh, much much uh, harder and it's a definitely a race which is uh, better for using kickboxes but uh, it depends on the it's on the weather and the conditions and if it's fresh snow or wet or how it will be but uh, it's not the same as a double polling race as Vasaloppe for example so uh, I think it's uh, nice to have this race in the ski classic so we have uh, also a race for uh, World Cup racers and a race which is uh, which will favorite uh, diagonal skiers. Last year it was uh, Corona time, but uh, I hope we will be at start in uh, Bardefoss uh, for uh, Reisteløpet this year. It's also the spectacular uh, nature there. It's um, very nice to be up there in the end of the season and uh, have a hard, uh, hard race in the end of the season. So hope we'll be there in March uh, this year. Hi, it's uh, Astri here, um, and I just want to say that Race de Lope is one of my favorite races. I think um, it's a real badass race, the race profile. It's so much harder, and with the first askance of like 500 altitude meters on 8Ks, it feels like hitting a wall. Um, the, this makes makes the double pole and kick wax debate uh, go crazy. <laughs> 
you never know what people will pick and do and what you're stuck with under your skis kind of um, sets the, the speed from start too because the double pullers want to go really hard in the beginning and maybe pull away from the kick waxers and the kick waxers want to go really fast in the uphill so it's in high pace all the way and yeah I am um, I enjoy that it's tough and I'm kind of scared of it too <laughs> Hello, this is Masako Ishida, and uh, I won the latest rope 2018. For me, the latest rope is number one. Yes, always uh, you have to suffering. I think uh, um, I'm a good climber actually. My body uh, really fit for uphill, uphill races. It's really nice competition. Yeah, because uh, if you can finish this really tough 50 kilometer, will get um, also satisfied by yourself. Also get uh, very happy from your heart. You can uh, enjoy this uh, so great nature. Since you've been doing this for about 20 years, you've been part of the organization for so long, since 2000, as you said. But when you kind of go back, what are the greatest memories that you have and then maybe the toughest times, toughest obstacles that you had uh, faced that you had to overcome? <laughs> toughest obstacles? Uh, well, you know, um, one of the toughest things are when you have to uh, to close down the range the race and you're not able to do it. Uh, like last year when, when COVID came in and, and kind of uh, took it away from us. Uh, obviously, the rough conditions in the mountains have have caused us some uh, some uh, some worries. Uh, but uh, again, uh, our experience, uh, a, a kind of a solid crew, kind of always helps out helps us out of it. But uh, you know, back in uh, um, well, when was that actually? When we had that record numbers, you know, because the, and that was actually before I really got into the organization. But that's probably one of my greatest years when we had that fifteen hundred and eighty-four uh, on the on the on the start uh, was great. And then again, when we entered Wisma Ski Classics, you know, we didn't really know where where is the, where is the where is the where is the bar for this? You know, how how good does it really have to be? And I must say, we we uh, we, hoped, we we almost worked our uh, ourselves to death that year. Uh, and I remember, but this is not not really the race. But I remember that David and, uh, and Robert and uh, the producer they demanded to come up here in January to inspect the course. And we said, you know, well, you know, it's not not a very good time to come up here in January. But they, you know. They they would like to do it, and we said okay, and they said okay. Do you have uh, do you have snowmobiles? Yes, we have snowmobiles. No worries. Okay. So they said, well, then we'll use snowmobiles for uh, for the inspection, and we said, yeah, Roger that. Uh, that will happen. Are you you your experience snowmobiles? Oh yeah, no worries at all. We will we can make it. <laughs> and I think they used like five hours from border from settlement to border falls on snowmobiles, and they almost had to dig themselves all the way up Orta, you know. And <laughs> so uh, I don't think uh, you know the producer. This uh, is our Czech friend. He uh, he uh, he was he was so exhausted that he almost uh, couldn't couldn't breathe when he was there. So yeah, but we have snow. Um, that's that's probably the thing we work most on every year to make sure that the tracks are perfect, and you know you never know with the nature. Uh, but we do solid preparations of the course from uh, from early February and through the race, and, and then as long as we can. So most of the time we can we can hold the course up until uh, mid June. Uh, that's normal. As a long, long season, but as you as you said, I just talked about it. Uh, uh, when you guys joined Visma Ski Classics, the Pro Tour, and the first year, uh, I was the uh, 
race director for Ulas Levy when we kind of started from scratch as well uh, way back then. And I, I kind of know the drill, you know, what goes into it. And particularly when you guys joining uh, this pro tour. But that year, let's talk about it a little bit more. I mean, it must have been then a little bit different. Something Was it nerve-wracking for you guys? Or you just kind of jumped on it and, and just rolled up your sleeves? Well, you know, uh, we uh, we sent out some uh, some recce parties, so to speak. You know, we sent uh, myself, uh, Toralf, uh, who is, who's been doing a lot of the long distance races on beforehand, and some other guys out to to, to kind of experience other events um, before 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 they enter into our our race. Uh, since we are one of the last races, we had that opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, we we tried to had uh, to had uh, to have a good uh, discussion with uh, the Wisma crew, uh, the race director uh, Robert Pett. Uh, spoke a lot with David, and uh, and uh, to really to really you know understand what are the standards that we need to meet. Uh, on the other hand, with regards to to the to the race, kind of if you look at the race as an isolated. We were not that worried because we have done national championships. We do major uh, cross cross country events in in other formats frequently. So, you know the the LOC is experienced. Uh, we know the business, uh, but you know, television is coming. Everybody is seeing it. Uh, will it be good weather? You know, you know how how can we how, what can we do with the weather? Even though we know you can't do anything with the weather, but you spend a lot of time. And uh, I remember I, uh, the first race, I woke up like uh, four o'clock in the morning, and we had said, you know, we will set the course in the in the evening. We will be done around 12, 12 o'clock. And then uh, people are watching on, you know, we had this system in Norway. You can watch the the track machines on on GPS on a, a specific app, and. Uh, among others, I think it was uh, Thomas Alscore who was the team captain at that time. He had he had noticed that uh, the the grooming machine was still working in uh, from from Urta and down to <laughs> to Copenhagen uh, during uh, the early the early morning. He said, "Hey, there's something wrong here. They are still doing the preparations." And I said, "Hey, come on, come on. We're just we're just we're just monitoring. And uh, there had been some wind through the night, so we had to do a regrooming. But it's downhill, so it will be okay. So it's like it was like a 24 or 48 hours of of speed uh, before the race. But uh, yeah, I think we pulled it uh, okay off uh, and have uh, taken it further from there. So, uh, but it's you know that's probably why we are into this business. You know, we like to kind of." Put a goal, and you'd like to perform as good as possible, and and hopefully, you know the the contenders, uh, being it pro teams or recreational skiers, uh, if they're smiling when they come to the to the finish line, well, you're you're happy too. So, a lot of work, and then you also had to co-commentate with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how, you know, uh, yeah, how was that experience? Well, I, I've I've never commentated on uh, on television or, or radio for that sake, but uh, it was uh, it was interesting, uh, even though because one thing is that you're experienced and you and you're always picking up and learning, uh, but to the other side, I, I realized that as a as a chief competition, uh, it was actually a good place to be where you really could observe the race on television from A to B with, go, with good communications. Because I had also the opportunity as part of the, the jury to, uh, to link up with the, the race director of, or uh, the FIS uh, technical delegate, uh, and we could quickly sort out if there was anything, uh, anything out there. But uh, yeah, it kind of gave, gave a new a new flavor to uh <laughs> to being the chief of competition uh as i was then so yeah and also gave you a different perspective because you saw how it looks like to the people that are watching uh your event out there in the world yeah exactly and uh yeah it's uh and we had we had fairly good weather uh good production you know I think the 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 Wisma Ski Classics uh, production crew is is very professional, uh, easy to work with, uh, 
and they really try to 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 make the most out of it. And uh, of course, we we as a, as a organizer has learned that to improve the production, we also need to kind of. Uh, twist our minds and and come up with good opportunities and try to create good uh, good possibilities for for the production crew. But uh, I think that that's uh, that that's a new flavor to being an LOC as well, and that I I appreciate that. So you're definitely going to do that again. You know, do they call, uh, call commentating with me uh, come the uh, the next edition? You never know. You never know. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but now, Fred Arne, we've been talking about your race, Visma Ski Classics, and, and so forth. But I think people would like to know a little bit more about you. You're a military man, so let's talk about that next. A military man? I'm a colonel like uh, Ole Resta, you know. <laughs> yes, uh, my background is, is the military. Actually, I... Um... I did my my priorities back in 1984 when I chose between going cross-country skiing or doing a a professional military career, and I ended up in the military. Uh, But I have been uh, I've been uh, actually a a cross-country competitor since uh, 1970. Imagine that I I actually had my first cross-country competition in 1970, five years old. And I've actually been uh, been occupied with cross country skiing uh, in the winter time since then. Um, I probably have had a, pot- a pretty good potential when I was a uh, junior uh, before I went into the military. Who knows where I could have taken it? But uh, how far did you get, by the way? I was I, wa- I was among the ten best juniors in Norway, meaning that you have a potential if you if you really kind of want to to uh, go after that but i chose uh, another career so uh, you would never get the the answer for that uh, but i have been uh, i i kept my interest for skiing and i've been competing uh, ever since uh, and i still do uh, and on the side i've always been part of uh, organizing um, uh, sport events you know being it cross country skiing orienteering in the summer uh, i'm do i do orienteering as a competition as well. Uh, I've been into bicycling, road racing, uh, both organizing and, and competing myself. So uh, that's that's pretty much my background as, uh, as, uh, as an athlete, you know, always, always doing my, my practice and always trying to find something to put my goal on. Uh, and then I found some interest in... Uh, the work of technical delegates to 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 organizing and more as a supporter to the events because I saw that you know it's um, it's hard to be a, to be a volunteer and if you have a small club uh, like we have in uh, both Norway, Sweden, and Finland, you know it's always clubs that take the responsibility and and you saw that people needed some some advisors so I entered into the the role of being a technical delegate and. Uh, one led to another, so now I also kind of FIS, FIS qualified, and I've done some some FIS events, uh, you know, the Norwegian National Championships, and I've done some long distance cups, and and then uh, David also talked me into being a race director for a couple of races this year, uh, being in Tobla Cortina and Jeserska among them. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, interested in cross country skiing all year round. Um, I like to organize uh, good events. So there's a lot on your plate, but going back to that military uh, uh, issue, a topic, uh, why did you, uh, or what made you uh, uh, join the army way back then when you were younger? Uh, that was not a very, very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a coincidence, you know. I had some uh, some older friends that that went into the military, you know, with Norway, it's uh, it's it's compulsory service, uh, like you have in Finland. Uh, you have to do your your twelve months anyway. Uh, I chose at the time we had uh, an officers candidate school, so I I signed up for a two year deal. You, you go to a school for one year and then you, you do a year of practice. And my 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 plan was actually to to continue my cross country career. And was looking at the possibilities to go to come to a U.S. university and on a team there. But then the military was uh, was interesting. Uh, gave me a lot of opportunities there as well. Uh, got me into some um, 
some very interesting uh, interesting challenges there and uh, I ended up at the uh, the military academy and been there ever since so uh, yeah and uh, military career and the, the things I've been doing is very much uh, like sports you know you need to exhale uh, you can't accept the silver medal it's only gold that's that's the thing I've I've uh, I've enjoyed it uh, and that's probably also why I uh, I like to organize. Uh, we do, you know, in the military, we do a lot of planning and execution, and this is the same thing. Uh, if you, we have a pretty, we have a pretty rare uh, LOC in, at Reistalöpe. We actually have among them three full colonels, being the chief event, the deputy event, and the chief, of course. And then we have a, a whole armada of uh, lieutenant colonels and majors. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of experience from from the military in the Reistalöpe. So no wonder you guys are so organized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably some some good side effects of that, yes. But uh, speaking of the military life, uh, besides being very organized or very kind of precise to the point, uh, as there you know the army usually is, what else did you learn uh, from just being part of it, and what kind of qualities do one need in order to excel or succeed uh, 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 in the military? Well, one thing is, of course, you need to to keep your your fitness uh, your fitness standards uh, all the time. But uh, it, it it's very much about you know good planning, uh, being able to uh, to foresee uh, different uh, courses of action. Uh, you always have to have a plan B. Uh, you need to adapt and overcome. And uh, and I I can see when we are doing uh, doing our races and. Uh, and organizing and working with people, you know, we are, I re, I, over the time I have realized that we are kind of relaxed, uh, even though we see that there are, there are major challenges ahead because we have kind of, we have gave, we have kind of discussed this back and forth. Uh, we have different options to, to kind of pick from if, uh, if the shit hits the fan, you always have to, to adapt and, uh, make it happen. So, uh, I think that's that's probably the things that we have uh, brought into to to this uh, to this race uh, is the ability to to make sure that you have a good plan, uh, and if you have a good plan, you will always uh, be able to uh, to improvise. That's uh, that's basically it, and that's why I say that even though we didn't pull off the race last year because of that COVID uh, shut it down a week ahead, we we did the full evaluation. We sat down there and, and did all the preparations, and now we see that people are really eager to to pull off uh, an even better plan this year because they they well that they are they know that they're well prepared. So yeah. And then you as a skier, let's go back there a little bit. Uh, you said that you did your first ski race when you were five years old, uh, and you're really talented junior skier. Uh, but now, at this stage, when you kind of go back and think about your your uh, life as a skier. What are the kind of the greatest, uh, the, the glory moments uh, in your skiing? I, I think it's it's more about uh, it's more about you know those great experiences with uh, with friends, you know, traveling to to um, to a race or an important uh, event, uh, doing the preparations. Uh, over the last years, I've I've been doing mostly the popular races. Uh, I've done much longer. Uh, and again, it's uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's an event. It's not just a race. It's like four or five days where you really look forward to go there. And I did Toblock, not Toblock routine. I did uh, Kaiser Maximilian a couple of years. Uh, also a fantastic race, fantastic area. Unfortunately, not in the in the series this year. Uh, but I think it's it's mostly that those experiences with with really good and close friends uh, that that sticks to my uh, closest to my heart. Yes. But I know that you've done well in the races too. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say kind of top notch, but uh, having uh, having a a full time job plus because in my work I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm to the military service 24/7 365 so I'm never off and then I have a lot of uh, of interests in organizing um, different events um, and then you should need to keep uh, 
keep attention to to your own uh, to, to your own training. Um, so, uh, but my my uh, my model is to come up with an event, put it out there, and then just know that you need to uh, do your training and and be up for it. When you get you get to a certain age, you're not that uh, fast anymore, but you are. You can just go on and you can go on, and I think that's also a bit about the experience. You know, you you've learned to push push yourself, and I I probably push myself beyond the limits I have, but uh, I'm still around, so uh, obviously I can take it. How do you train? I know that you're gonna go running uh, tonight uh, with your wife, but generally speaking. In the summer, um, I uh, mostly do cycling, road racing, or uh, this year I actually bought uh, one of those uh, cross-country bikes. Uh, spend a lot of time on, uh, on single tracks. Um, then I'm into orienteering. I, I love orienteering. It's uh, probably uh, beside uh, cross-country skiing, uh, orienteering is a great sport. Uh, perfect for cross-country skiers. Uh, so there is a lot of running and cycling in the summer. And uh, during the winter, uh, it's, uh, it's cross-country skiing. Try to put in some, uh, some cardio a couple of times a week. But mostly it's about, you know, those, those long, great, uh, late training events uh, from an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, I have not uh, started on my uh, double polling career yet. I'm still into uh, to diagonal. That's, that's still my favorite. But it, it, it's about, you know, having enough, enough hours. And then I realized that when you... When you grow older, you you need to uh, to do to strengthen your muscles because you know your your strength is uh, is not as it used to be. So I probably do go to the gym uh, three times a week these days uh, and do some. Uh, and I, I I put a lot of emphasis on, on maximum strength. That's 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 what I do, and that I think that gives me the results I need. Actually, but actually, uh, yesterday we we got a new tool in the family because we bought one of those uh, double polling machines. So uh, uh, it's I just put it up on the wall yesterday and had my first session with that. So uh, maybe I, maybe we have to, uh, to 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 look into the double polling for the next season to come. <laughs> so you're becoming a double poler now. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't add it, but uh, there, there, there is a great possibility. Yes. So in addition to cross-country skiing and your busy life, you know, the, the work life that you have so much on your plate, as I said earlier, but what else is important to you? What else do you value in life? Uh, for me, it's, uh, you know, uh, we, I, we, I have a great family and uh, we spend a lot of time together. Uh, it's, uh, it's my wife and I we, and my, my kids. We share a lot of the same, uh, the same uh, interests. Even though my, uh, my my two sons are not that eager in cross country skiing and, uh, and that, but they have they have been competitors. Uh, we have as all Norwegians uh, a cabin up in the mountains where we spend some time. That's kind of the Norwegian uh, Norwegian very important uh, thing to have. And we like to travel, even though uh, there are some limits these days. But we we like to 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 go around and and do some some. Be active when we when we're traveling. But I think family and uh, we, you always have have some some really close friends. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of important when you when you have a very busy lifestyle, busy work. Uh, sometimes you need to just to to get out there uh, in the nature and uh, and push yourself uh, to kind of recharge your own batteries. So basically, it's the balance that you're talking about. Yeah, I would say I would say so. Uh, I need to uh, I need to stay fit and I need to have a good life to to perform and uh, be able to uh, to contribute. Kind of that's a that's a, a chosen situation and uh, probably continue. I don't have a crystal ball uh, available, but I hope that you have one because the next thing we're going to do is to talk about the future. So Fred Arne, of course, the future is always it's always a bit uh, uncertain. And you talked about at the beginning of this uh, uh, episode 
kind of the little bit of the um, developments and ideas that you have uh, for Reisteloipe. Let's go back to those. From years from now, not just this coming year, this coming season, uh, what are you cooking up with? What are you planning to do in terms of your race, besides the package deals that you mentioned earlier? We are actually trying to work on uh, on the experience of the race. You know, is there is there is there anything we could could add to the race, uh, being it, you know, the day before, uh, on the actual day, what what do the the competitors meet when they cross the finish line? What do they meet along the race? Uh, and I've, 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 I've myself, I had gained some uh, some inspiration from, uh, especially Marcia Longa, where it's kind of like a feast along the course. Uh, you go through those small villages. We don't have those villages up in the mountains, but we have tried to to. Uh, to do some initiatives on some focal points to kind of create that atmosphere of uh, of uh, uh, having uh, spectators, uh, making it a good uh, experience from from the for the TV viewers. Because you know, f- for me and you, who has uh, m- over the average interest in cross country skiing, we could we could see the expert double pole for three hours and, and say, hey, this was great. But, you know, but for everyone, uh, the average uh, television viewer, that's probably not the case. They would li- like to see some uh, some add-ons, you know, some get the histories from the area and get a good production. So uh, we've, we've worked with, uh, with the Ski Classics team, of course, the, produ- the production team there. Uh, we try to work with NRK to to make more of an event out of uh, of Race Up as well, and we focus both on on the pro teams, uh, and we have asked the pro teams, you know, is there anything we could could add for the days before, the days after, anything we could do for you, uh, and we um, hopefully we will get some some reactions on that over the time, and then it's it's kind of it's also a family event. Uh, it's important for us. That's kind of the the core of Ristolöpe is still the region and uh, and those families, those those youngsters who like to be like the grandfather who has done fifty three races, and they start when they're when fourteen because they want to reach fifty three as well. Uh, so it's you know it's a lot of different flavors of a of a race like this, which is both a professional pro team tour. And it's a kind of a popular race for families. And I think there must be possibilities, things that we have not seen so far that, that should be possible to, to develop around that, uh, that concept. Uh, and I, I think that uh, the, long distance, the long distance skiing has a future. Uh, and I definitely, definitely think that uh, uh, those those great winter events uh, with also those those uh, those climate changes that is that is coming up on us uh, uh, will be important to for us up north to to continue to to develop and uh, and serve the cross country community with uh, good conditions uh, real snow you know that that uh, full package uh, mountain experience. How much can your event grow? <laughs> well, that that's interesting. You know, the limit there there is no how should I put it? The limitations is not, you know, hotels or air tickets or logistics, you know. We could easily do do 5000. Uh, and that was kind of the estimate that the ski classics team told us after the first year you now this, this will easily grow uh, we are been, we have been growing steadily uh, since we entered uh, from 800 to 1500 but i think we we need to, i think this, the great the hugest potential is probably people from from northern sweden northern finland uh, also southern norway because they they realize that it's it's actually easy to come up here uh, and then again, we see that there is uh, there is a there is a market, if you could put it that way, from uh, from the international side. Uh, but it kind of takes time to grow. But we are we are 
well uh, situated and fit to uh, to accommodate uh, a growth of uh, being it double the size or uh, or triple. Uh, that that shouldn't be a challenge with uh, with the facilities and uh, the support we have. And legacy wise, what would you like to achieve in terms of race? Legacy wise, uh, well, I haven't been thinking about that. But you know, if we can be that, if we can be that uh, that high quality demanding race uh, and be regarded as uh, as a professional LOC that always uh, perform and meet the standards and uh, that both the pro teams, the amateurs and uh, the, the Wisma team know that uh, whenever they go to Brestelöpe, things are uh, things will be in place on time and they will have a, a great experience. And speaking of Wisma Ski Classics, what has that brand and the tour uh, brought to you guys? Well, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, one thing is that you we have to you know we 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 changed a bit about the course. We we professionalized uh, some of the LOC because we kind of you know put the higher standards on stuff, which was naturally to do when you have with, with pro athletes. Interesting thing is that kind of that also uh, added value to to the recreational skier and, and the amateurs because they 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 definitely. Uh, let's say uh, they regarded uh, the the possibility to to be on that that starting line together with those those really professionals. Uh, you see that they enjoy it. They can they can see all these faces that they see on television. Uh, the other thing is that when you had uh, Wismas Classics brought television, you know, live broadcast two hours on NRK and. Swedish TV, Finnish TV, you know, all all over the world. That's that's almost invaluable. So, and I think that that's the reason why we have seen an increase in in, in competitors uh, from uh, from outside this region. That's definitely that 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 professional TV production and that we have been able to to perform and, and get some good uh, good grades, so to speak, from from the teams. The the technical uh, delegations and uh, the, the ski classics team. So it's kind of put you into another, uh, to another division, you know, the elite division. You know, this is really the 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 World Cup of long distance skiing, and this this should be the 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 ten or the eleven best races, long distance races in the world. And and we have been lucky to to be accepted and uh, have a good. Uh, Good, uh, good relations to uh, the ski classics, uh, both the races and the ski classics crew, um, and we have uh, the intent to to continue to to work uh, as part of the tour. So uh, it's definitely brought us up into the elite division, and we intend to stay there. Avisma Ski Classics is constantly uh, evolving and finding new avenues to expand the brand and the scope. But is there anything that you'd like to see? taking place in Visma Ski Classics, any other or new developments, ideas that you have in your mind? No, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really put my, my head into uh, how Visma Ski Classics should develop. I, I think they have, uh, they have a lot of good ideas and I, I really appreciate their way of, uh, what's, what's kind of special with the, the, the long distance uh, pro team slash ski classics uh, community is that it's kind of a product of not only David and his crew, you know, it's, it's, it's evaluation from, from all the organizers. It's evaluation from the pro teams that have come in with their RDs, what they would like to see happen. And then, they do this synthesis and say, okay, this year we do some adjustments and we add some new flavor to it. And I, I think that's a very good way of, uh, of working. And you have a kind of a steady and, and, and a good involvement from, from the whole group, so to speak. Uh, and if they're able to continue that way of working, uh, I think that would uh, be very prosperous for uh, for the lost uh, long distance skiing. And uh, for for Norway especially, uh, we see that uh, cross country skiing from the World Cup side. When you go to the the, the classic World Cup, they are going behind, uh, not behind bars, but they're going behind uh, payment uh, solutions, meaning that 
the long distance will be kind of the, on the free television side of the house. And I think for us, that is, that is really important. And that's something we probably could, uh, could exploit for, for the next upcoming years. Certainly a bright future for all of us and for uh, long-distance skiing. But I know we've been talking about all kinds of things for so long and you're really eager to step out and take a headlight and start running <laughs> with your wife. Uh, but as as a last question, going back to Reisterlöpen and, of course, this coming year, this season, season 11, uh, your race is the uh, second last uh, uh, in the tour. And, of course, then we'll have Ules Levy as a final race. What would you like to say to those people that are still considering thinking about coming over kind of the final final summary final pitch uh just to add, ask them to come over and and well if you haven't started uh, to prepare you should do it immediately uh, and sign up uh, uh, the race to uh, uh loc is uh, is really well prepared we are able to handle uh, more or less any situation as long as uh, as the government let us uh, organize it and uh, let it through. You know, COVID will always be kind of a, will always be back there, but we tend not to, to think too much about that. Uh, we are ready. There will be a race and everybody is heartily welcome. Good words indeed. Thank you very much, Fred Arne. And uh, you should go out there and enjoy the Northern Lights and the darkness that you uh, have there at the moment. Uh, but once again, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, uh, Timo, and uh, hope to see you up here as well, 10th of April. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.